to the 35th episode of the game podcast i'm your host jerry thompson here with me is michael majors and this is still weird but we are two platinum pros <laughs> and there are no guests this week so uh no more andrew brown he's he's back at work briefly entertained the idea of having kevin jones back on and maybe that'll happen at some point i don't know but big congrats to him for winning gp montreal love it yeah it's awesome there, there's there are a few people i enjoy rooting for in magic more than kevin jones yeah, yeah, I agree. And and maybe now he can give me that 180 bucks he owes me. <laughs> Just like go daddy go. I don't know. I don't know how much money he had to win to get that money back for me, you know, but I think I think 10k will do it. I said here's to hoping no splits. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. He's like, "Ah, I split away 150% of myself." <laughs> God damn it, Kevin. Anyway, in Kevin's honor, I guess we're going to talk about Aetherworks Marvel because he won the Grand Prix. Uh, the Grand Prix in Santiago was won by Mauro Sasso. I'm sure I'm butchering that somehow. Also, both Grand Prix were a Teamer Marvel Finals. So, kind of what people expected post-Pro Tour. I did what I could, winning with zombies and everything. But uh, it doesn't it doesn't seem to have taken, really. Uh, Marvel is basically all over the place. And today, we're going to talk about the different versions, uh, the slight variations. Basically, I think people have mostly settled on like a shell that they like, and basically what we want to do going forward. And I think Majors and I actually disagree this time, so it's going to be fun. Yeah, I, I mean, like fundamentally, it's it's pretty hard to screw these decks up, like now that the shells are established. And like, I do think some of it is kind of personal preference but yeah, I think we do agree enough to make this interesting. Yeah, okay, so... I think we can start by talking about the Pro Tour. The PT had basically three versions. It was like the Genesis version that did incredibly well, put Martin Mueller into top eight. Yuya's version, which made it to the finals and was kind of like, I don't even know who came up with it really, but it was on Magic Online before the Pro Tour, or at least like a version close to his. And then the Sultai version that we're only going to talk about a little bit that uh, some of the Pantheon members played. So feel free to start talking about your deck. Yeah, so, so basically we kind of heavily metagamed a stock Marvel deck. A lot of people asked about this, and it's something that we even like briefly touched upon last week, but kind of like you just said, these like Glimmer sensor versions of Marvel were just on Moto for like two weeks leading up to the Pro Tour, and those are the first iterations that we tested with, and, you know, obviously we played games with them. And, you know, there's a lot to like about it, but Glimmer of Genius, kind of the way that we predicted the metagame shaping being like heavily influenced by zombies and mardu was a little slow and um you know something that we weren't necessarily interested in just automatically playing four copies of talked about going down the rabbit hole and getting to chandra flamecaller as a direct response to fighting zombies and also just giving us like a pretty powerful b plan but moving forward i do think with lots and lots of mirror matches and maybe the rise of blue control decks that glimmer is kind of a necessary evil yeah and zombies is just less prevalent right so how many chandras do you actually need now and certainly after the results of these gps like i i fully expect the amount of mirror matches to increase right and like how good is chandra in the mirror i think chandra is like a solid b in the mirror it's it's something that you are pretty happy to hit off your marvel if you do brick on ulamog can put pressure on your opponent it can especially in the post board games like protect like a lead or if you're just like you know at even and you hit chandra then you can like zero or like maybe restock your hand with counter magic or marvel and then kind of just pull ahead that way like she's still a very very powerful card both generically as a threat and as a draw engine but you know it's certainly not like premium in the mirror 
Yeah, it, it seems like a card that you would probably want two of, but you wouldn't necessarily like bring in more copies just because it's really expensive. They're bringing in the gates, right? Yeah, we were shaving on them in the mirrors post-board. Okay. Uh, another cool thing that I've seen Marvel do, uh, or not Marvel, Chandra, a reasonable amount of the time is like take out Whirler Virtuoso and the tokens, which post-board, that can be kind of an issue. Yeah, I, I mean, I've even been in spots where like, I'm minusing her to kill my own creatures to generate energy so I can marvel again and just like weirdo stuff like that. Okay. The the Yuya version was kind of the the level one or level two, depending on which way you want to look at it. Like I think most people when they started building Marvel decks for the Pro Tour were starting with Servant of the Conduit, right? And Yuya's list just completely issues that card for sensor and glimmer, like you noted. And my initial reaction to that was like it's it's just kind of nonsense. Like Glimmer is a card that is fine, but it's more of like this like grindy setup card, right? And I don't really view the Marvel decks like that. Like I, I really want to be putting pressure on them to some degree while also like threatening this combo kill. And I don't want my deck to just all be revolving around Marvel because like you could just not draw a Marvel, right? And then what are you doing? I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little skeptical of the Glimmer versions just in general, but it, certainly if if there's just all mirror matches, right? You can afford to just sit and like spin your wheels and like kind of control what they're doing and, you know, not necessarily have to interact in the early turns or even really put pressure on your opponent. But I do think like even in the mirrors, like putting pressure on them is pretty powerful. So do you, do you just think that like Glimmer is a slam dunk or what? I don't think it's a slam dunk, but I, it's weird. So like typically when you see a deck like Aetherworks Marvel historically throughout Magic, people are kind of interested in trying to like, you know, blitz you out or get under you or maybe like, you know, attack you plus like the smallest amount of disruption or whatever, but it seems like everybody's just kind of slowing down and they're trying to like get very reactive to beat you. And in that case, then like Glimmer Genius is is super appealing just as something that fixes your draws is a draw to, you know, generate some energy. And especially if you don't have certain in the condo in your deck. I, you know, I think if people are, for whatever reason, have decided that Blue Red Control is the way to fight Marvel instead of, you know, going under them with zombies, then, then Glimmer's great. Yeah, that is true. I don't know. I, I do think that like the Glimmer version is likely the best now like your guys's deck i think was fine in the mirror but certainly not as good as like having main deck like sensors and dissenters deliverances and all that stuff right yeah I, I do think like if if player a has chandra and player b does not then player a is favored but probably some mixture of all of these elements is actually the best way okay uh Sultai is like the liliana death's majesty ishkana like kind of delirium-y splashing rogue refiner list and I think like Huey, Reed, and Yelger played it. I'm not sure of too many people passed that. And Reed lost playing for top eight. Huey did pretty well. I think they put up good results, but I also think that maybe their constructed records were not that great. I'm not sure, but they're very good and their deck was like mostly good. So I think that's kind of why they did well, but I don't think that that deck offers any sort of like real incentive to play it over the Glimmer versions. Yeah, I, I generally agree. Like Demon of Dark Schemes is a worse version of Chandra in my eyes in literally every way. You know, Ishkanah Graph Widow is certainly excellent against Mardu vehicles, but A, Mardu is, you know, kind of on the de decline, or at least, like, maybe that's, like, not actually true, because I guess it made a couple of top eights, but it seems to me like Mardu vehicles is just not very good. I don't know how you feel about that statement, but... No, I mostly agree. I think that Mardu just kind of has to go back to its roots and play Toolcraft Exemplar, probably Veteran Motorist or Glory Bound Initiate. I think that card's also quite good. 
Sure, just and, take the go under them approach. Yeah, and you need to put pressure on Marvel. Uh, you can't do this like mid-range like Planeswalker stuff against them because eventually they're going to find an Ulamog and you just can't beat it. So I do think that pressure plus something like Anguish Unmaking is going to be pretty good against Marvel where, you know, maybe you have three or four permanents out when they finally get to Marvel Ulamog you and then you can just like clear the Ulamog and keep attacking them and, you know, just kind of treat it like a roadblock basically and like... It's really not that easy for them to go, like, I have six energy, use Marvel, and then untap, and immediately have six energy again. Like, that's that's kind of a tall order. So, I think that Anguish Unmaking, or something along those lines, is probably where people want to be. So, I do think that there is probably a Mardu deck that is quite good against Marvel. Like, the tools exist. No, no like, Toolcraft Exemplar pun intended. I, I paused there, because I was like, man, I don't even want to say this, but... <laughs> No, I, I do think that Mardu could be good, but it needs to just, like, start from, from the ground up, you know? Yeah, I mean, Mardu is, is the rock now. It's like you have a billion options, and you just have to figure out how to configure your deck. Maybe once they figure out the best list, like, maybe that'll be the best deck. Maybe it's kind of, like, morphing with, like, the White-Blue Flyers deck or the Esper Flash deck, something like that. I mean, like, the counter spells obviously help a lot, too. So I, I do think that Mardu is a deck to be wary of and maybe a deck that I should potentially work on. But uh, going forward, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to play Marvel. Yeah, same. This is basically a very long-winded way of me saying that I do not think Soltai is very good or at least has yeah. a, a significant edge over Teamer in really aiding capacity. At least right now. Obviously, that could change. But for, for right now, there it, like Sultai is just not a deck you can play. Yeah. I mean, if, if Vessel, if, if for whatever reason we get back into a world where Vessel of Nascency into Ishkanon Graf Widow is good, then yeah, obviously that's great. Like Liliana, Death Majesty has a really, really powerful interaction with Vessel. That's cool, but I, I don't think it's better than Team Arena. Yep, agreed. And even if you do want to do Vessel, Ishkanon stuff, like you could also play Naya, which I don't, I don't know if either of us is really, you, you wrote about it, right? I didn't write about it. I, I mentioned the fact that I worked on it, which I did over the course of the Pro Tour, because Vessel and Nacesi into Angel of Sanctions was such a you know attractive combination. Also, Nahiri is just a generically good card and's kind of just been underrated the entire yep. time it's been in standard. Agreed. Before the Grand Prix, you wrote a little write up on the Patreon. It was basically just like you know your your updated list, right? And you kind of meshed the decks together, so. You have Servants, you have two Glimmers, you still have four Chandra, three Ulamog, one Deliverance. You just took, like, all the good pieces and jammed them together. Like, is this kind of where you still want to be? Uh, yes and no. So I, I think it's more likely that three Chandra and three Glimmer is more correct than four two, the way that I had it. The real question mark for me is basically whether I want Servant or Sensor in my deck. I think that's kind of where you have to draw the line. I'm still fine with playing through Ulamogs. I don't think you necessarily need four. Even, let's just assume that it makes you a slight dog in the mirror game one. And, you know, maybe it's just kind of silly for me to make that stance that, you know, you can just play through Ulamogs because it's fine. Excuse me, because you, maybe the mirror is so prevalent. I still just think, like, decreasing the fail rate of your deck, which Chandra Flynn Caller does, is just better for, like, making the deck function over the course of a, of a you know, an entire tournament. See, I mostly agree with that. I don't know, though. It's it's kind of weird. Like, obviously, Chandra helps to that end, but... Oh, it really uh, does. Like, it just, it, does, it does a lot. I know it does. I know it does. But say, say like, you put the fourth Ulamog in your deck, right? And you, you add, like, 10% or whatever it is. It's, like, close to 10% to your, like, Marvel hits hitting Ulamog. Like, over the course of the tournament, I think that that helps you way more than just, like, oh, well, instead of, like, being 10% more likely to hit an Ulamog, I'm 10% more likely to hit a Chandra and X% less likely to just naturally draw Ulamog? I don't know. Like, I think that that's an interesting debate. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not like some super math guy. I, I can't make a, a strong argument either way. And I, obviously, like, I totally understand the, the counterpoint of, well, if the mirror matches, especially game one, just kind of a, you know, this, this shit show where I have to marvel into Ulamog before my opponent, then I want to have the best chance of doing that. Like, I totally understand that. But, well, especially with people main decking Descender's Deliverances. Yeah, that, that's definitely a good point as well, because even then, if you if you have Marvel first and you miss the first time, like, usually in the past, you were able to, you know, still pull ahead, maybe get some incremental advantages off Rogue Refiner or Whirler Virtuoso or whatever and just keep spinning. But, you know, if people are actually punishing you with Shatter, then the window is much smaller. Uh, obviously, in, in the scenario we're talking about, they shatter your Marvel and you still have a Chandra and you're likely still just a huge favorite because you're either pressuring them or just, like, cycling through your hand and you can probably piece everything back together but i don't know i i do think that for ulamog is is probably correct and i i generally hate this sort of thing like i hate playing the the four cards in your deck that like basically just don't help you like anytime you draw them they're just a brick i i would generally do this just like shave on this because like i feel like i'm not losing too much and then my deck gets to function but like these mirrors are so volatile that i think that you actually need to play four yeah, and, um, you know, we, we kind of saw some, like, Kevin Jones and Paul Dean made some small concessions to that. Kevin didn't play for Ulamog, but he did play one Nissus Renewal, which is kind of like this pseudo-bridge into Ulamog. Like, if you have Ulamog in your hand, you hit this off Marvel, then you can cast it next turn, it naturally curves. And yeah. then Paul Dean had an additional land and something that you really liked, we were talking about before the show, two Shrine of the Forsaken Gods. Yeah, so I like the Shrines a lot, and I think that it mostly justifies playing four Ulamogs. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I totally get it. I just, I really don't like making this deck less stable than it is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it's actually less stable. Especially in the post-board games, like, your cards are going to trade off, trade off like, so often that just, like, getting to 10 and casting one of these Ulamogs is completely fine. I, I don't know how much coverage you watch, but, like, I, I watched the majority of it, and, like, it happened a lot. Yeah, I believe that. I, I So, again, I think this kind of goes back to what I was saying previously. It's like, so the way that I conceptualize the metagame forming for this Grand Prix... And this is, you know, me just thinking about how the Pro Tour went. I haven't, like, honestly done much motoing or anything along those lines lately. It's just, I assumed that people would kind of move towards zombies or getting more aggressive with, like, blue-white midrange or uh, maybe even Marty vehicles, something along those lines. I thought people were just going to be interested in attacking each other. But if we do, you know, form this metagame where blue-red control is really popular and it's tons of Marvel Mirror matches, then I do think Paul Dean's approach makes a lot of sense. So he did lose to Kevin in the finals, but he also, like, mulled to six, mulled to five, and, like, didn't really cast spells. So I think that that's worth noting, too. But also, Kevin and Paul were both undefeated in mirror matches up until that point. So It kind of makes sense that the winner of, of the tournament would, you know, just crush the mirror over and over again, because that's just how the metagame was for the day two metagame especially. So I'm, I'm not trying to, like, take anything away from Kevin by saying that. It's just, that's kind of what no, I me expect. either. I They both knew what they were doing, and it just so happened that, like, you know, Paul's draws did not cooperate in the finals, and it would have been nice to see, like, some actual games, especially against, like, two people who are crushing the mirror, right? No, I mean, like, it's still very impressive for both of them, and, you know, not trying to take anything away from Kevin, for sure. Yeah. Uh, some things that jump out to me about their lists, uh, kind of, you know, obviously Paul has the four Ulamogs, two Shrines, 23 land. I like playing the 23rd land a lot, especially with Glimmer Genius in your deck, it seems like you do kind of just want to be able to hit some land drops, like, Kevin has a Torrential Gear Hulk, Paul has the fourth Ulamog. I don't like that Paul is, like, super low in Whirl of Virtuous. I, I thought that aspect of his list was very strange. Because, like, it, it gets to that point to me where it's, like, you're kind of just, like, actually low on energy. Uh, yeah, to some degree. I mean, this deck has, like, Glimmer instead of Servant. Yeah, he is just lighter than all the other lists. 
Yeah. I mean, Whirler is also just this, and I've harped about this, you know, ad nauseum, but Whirler is just such an awesome card with Chandra Flamecaller. You know, but those play patterns don't really present themselves very much, like, in the mirror or against control decks. That's more of, like, something you do against Mardu or Zombies, where you're actually just, like, playing Protect the Queen with Chandra. Yeah. So, that makes some sense, but I do think that one Whirler is just, like, low. Like, he has, what, nine cards in his deck that produce three energy, not counting Harness Lightning, 13 if you count Harness Lightning. And, like, yeah. that's that's kind of the magic number, where if you draw two of those, or you, like, just curve Woodweavers into Marvel, then you can have the natural insane draw. Yeah, I don't know, maybe it does put a lot of pressure on him actually having Woodweavers Puzzle Knot. Like, on- honestly, to the point where I'm not sure that he can even, like, shave those in a lot of matchups, or cut down as many as he would want. No, I was, I was very surprised to see fewer Whirlers. Like, I would be fine with two, but, like, not even having, like, a second one in the sideboard seems odd. Like, you get dispossessed and then just have no way to use energy. It just seems like having another Whirler would be pretty beneficial in those spots. Yeah, I do like that he incorporates one Confiscation Coup. Nobody's playing with that card, and I just don't really get it. I, I thought it was just so good. So, I think it is better <clears throat> when you have Servant of the Conduit. Then, like, five mana sorceries start seeming, like, more attractive. But kind of what I was saying with Chandra, too, is having a pretty expensive sorcery when your opponents are boarding in negates or whatever just kind of doesn't seem great to me. But obviously the things that you want to coup are, like, Tracker and Marvel. And Tracker kind of leads to a play pattern where they end up with mana open to cast negate or whatever. But, like, Marvel doesn't really, you know. It's generally, like, I expend all my resources to get this Marvel into play and hope it sticks, right? Yeah, I'm curious how Paul sideboard in the mirror match because the way he constructed his sideboard, he's very heavy on dispel, and he has upwards of two negates, one made, one on the board if he wants in the mirror match, which I assume he does. So like, I'm curious if he was like going super heavy on dispel and just trying to like play this more proactive game of like jamming his spells and then fighting back. Yeah, I mean th- that's kind of what it seems like. It, it also just seems like dispel is the card you want in the true mirror because it stops glimmer. And if they can't Glimmer, like, Glimmer is like your brainstorm, right? It just, like, makes your hand good and gives you a lot of velocity. So I could see, like, why wanting to stop that or, like, protect Tracker, protect uh, Marvel from Dissenter's Deliverance, stuff like that, like, are probably more important than just, like, sitting back on a wall of negates. Yeah. Looking at his list, I think I would go, like, I think it makes sense. I would just max out on Tracker and play two Confiscation Coups if I'm interested in playing three Dispel. No, that's fair, too. I, I guess, like... The reason why you probably can't afford to play that game where you're just, like, sitting back on counter spells is that eventually they will hardcast Ulamog, and that's just as bad as, like, if they had resolved a Marvel, right? Yep. So maybe maybe Negate is is not the right card, you know? I see a lot of lists that have, like, three Negate, one or two Dispels, and he's taking kind of the opposite approach, like you mentioned, where he's just, like, using them aggressively to force his things through. I, I would be interested in picking his brain about this, like, because a lot of this this makes sense to me. It's just, like, some of the finer details. And obviously, it's it's impossible to get your Grand Prix list right, you know. We, we've talked yeah. about this, where it's like, uh, we, I wish I hadn't just screwed up, like, these five slots, and I know it, like, halfway through the tournament. Yeah, the, the only thing that I really don't like is only one Whirler. I would want a second. I'm not sure if you need a third. It would probably be nice to have, but I don't think it's a complete necessity. I do like the 23 lands, and I do like his mana base. One thing I do want to question is, like, Lumbering Falls versus Botanical Sanctum. Like, how useful is Lumbering Falls? Uh, So I think Lumbering Falls is very important against Blue-Red Control. Is it, though? It just seems like whenever you get into a spot where you could Lumbering Falls them, they're threatening Torrential Gearhulk. I I think it's not as good in a list with, A, this so few World of Virtuosos, but B, no Servant of the Conduit. Because Servant of the Conduit can usually chip shot for, like, six points, like, throughout the early game. 
And then yeah. once you get to a point where, yes, they, they have torrential gear hulk mana up or whatever, but you're like cracking them for five and like threatening to harness lightning their gear hulk if they tap out for it, kind of puts them in this weird spot where you know you kind of put them in the chokehold on life total, and then eventually they start just having to like spend resources on your you know your shit bags, and then you're actually doing what you want to do. And if you can actually put pressure on them to the point where they're forced to tap out for gear hulk, and you can answer it, even if you do lose your offense in the process, then that prolongs the game long enough for you to actually ulamog them. No, that's legit. I could buy that. That was the only weird thing. Like, whenever you see, like, two Botanical Sanctum, two Lumbering Falls, it's like a 2-2 split of the same kind of dual land. It's like, is this right? Yeah, we played uh, two Lumbering Falls, one Botanical Sanctum, actually. Yeah. So, for your deck, I think it makes more sense. Like, when you have four Chandras, anytime you can chunk your opponent for three, I think that's going to be a pretty big deal. And especially when you have Servant, too. But Paul doesn't and he only has two chandras and card doesn't seem particularly good against blue red control so i don't know yeah i mean i think it's it's better than it looks it's just the the threat of like dealing six damage with them over the course of the game can can change the way they have to play out their torrential gear hulks fundamentally and then yeah it can just lead the game because you actually like i think blue red is better than marvel in the mid game but you're better early and late so you just have to like get out of that sweet spot of like turn like six to eight or six to nine and if you can just, like, stop them from establishing board position and clocking you in any in any way, then, like, you're probably going to win. Okay, well, so I at first I was watching the Grand Prix and I was seeing, like, all these deck lists and it looked like people were mostly playing Yuya's deck with two Chandra's and I'm just like, you know, what the hell? Like, how did everyone decide on this? And did some, some digging and found that Paulo had written an article with an updated list, like, after the Pro Tour. And it seems like a lot of people stemmed their list, like, from his, which, you know, kind of makes sense. But I think Louise had, had talked about it as well. It's like he kind of did a, a brief comparison to all three of the major lists from the Pro Tour and basically said, yeah, I think you just like won an amalgam of, of all the elements. Yeah, so I'm, I'm down with that. It seems like everyone mostly decided on the same stuff, played some stuff that was very similar, and it is very much about like hashing out details at this point. And I think the genres are good. I think the shrines are really good. I think you should play Fort Ulamogs. How many like sensors and deliverances and like main deck negates and stuff is kind of like up up in the air i think and then like the sideboard like people are playing like the same 10 cards or whatever but the fact that people like can't really agree on them i don't know i feel like there's there's like a better way to do this than like what people are doing yeah i agree i i think that so so what what you're talking about previously where i wrote about about an updated list on the patreon so i think that now everyone has kind of just decided that we're in this like you know, Marvel and Blue control heavy metagame, very few zombies, maybe some Mardu, but not a ton. I probably am fine with cutting the servants just because everyone's kind of playing nice and deciding that we, we want to play long games of Magic. That's cool. Yeah. And then for me, it's basically a question of like figuring out how good Sensor is. Because I could definitely see a world where I just want like way more Dissenter's Deliverances than I want Sensors because like, you know, maybe I just want to fight A, my opponent's Marvels, but B, if people are respecting Sensor, then I don't have to play it necessarily. And C, it's still nice to have like a hedge answer against like Heart of Kieran and Torrential Gear Hulk, something along those lines. And then I think I would borrow uh, some elements of Paldine Cyborg. I would probably move up to like four trackers, at least one Confiscation Coup, probably two, and then just like take this like brute force dispel game plan. No, I definitely like that too. Sensor, I'm, I'm not super sold on. I It seems like you want something aside from Harness Lightning to be able to interact early. Like some people play Magma Spray, but it's like so bad in a lot of the matchups that I can't really see myself doing that. So I think sensor kind of takes that role but i do think that deliverance is mostly a, a better way to interact against the majority of decks but i do want something like on top of it so 
I, I was building this deck on Moto, and I was going to play a little bit, and I liked Paul's list a lot, where, like, I basically agreed on everything except for one Whirler. I don't know. I think I'll probably just, like, cut a sensor for that. I'm not sure, like, how bad that is or not. Or, like, whether or not having five cyclers means that, like, he actually has more energy than it looks like he has. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I still think it's reasonable just to... I guess, well, no, he only has five threes, so that's, like, not even a reasonable consideration. Like, he's not concerned about his, like, curve being weird. I, I would still just play at least two, probably three a Whirler. I don't think I'd go below three, personally. For, for From his main deck, I would cut a sensor for a Whirler. I would change the sideboard slightly. I'm not sure if the three Dispel plane is great or not. The cards that people are using for beatdown decks are all kind of spread, like Aether Meltdown, Shielded Aether Thief, Radiant Flames versus Sweltering Suns, and stuff like that. I think you could probably find a better way to just, like, shave slots by combining some of those cards. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm not really sure why Shielded Aether Thief is in everyone's list. I guess just because you played it. It's, I think like, I, it's okay. It's not great. I, I think that card is just underperformed throughout its tenure in, in Standard, so I don't like it. It's also this, this thing of, like, it, what is it really contributing to? Like, you're spending all of your energy to, like, not really build board position. Like, maybe you'll, like, draw into the Marvel that you need or whatever, but then you have no energy. So, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it is, it is kind of strange. Well, I, I guess, like, against zombies, you're probably doing a thing where you, like, board out an Ulamog or two. You maybe shave on, like, Marvel and Puzzle Knots, and you just become kind of like this team or control deck. Especially now that you have Chandra, you can do that, right? So... Aether Thief, I guess, is the way that you use energy in those matchups instead of, like, Whirler. I guess, I mean, Whirler's just so good. Like, especially if you're if you're game playing Chandra. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. People will cast Aether Thief against me at the PT, and if it came down early enough, it was certainly relatively hindering, you know? It just, like, it, it basically just, like, gains you two life a turn or three life, depending on if they have a Lord or not, which can be good in some of the games, but at some point it just stops being relevant, you know? Yeah, I think it kind of highlights the problem of why Ishkana is not good against zombies. It's like, if zombies is operating on all cylinders, then it's not even attacking you early, it's just drawing you cards. Because then it's right. going to build this insurmountable board position with a bunch of lords or Liliana's Mastery. And then they'll kill you in two turns. And Aether Thief is good against some of Mardu's draws, but definitely not all of them. Yeah, I mean, it, it does brick wall Toolcraft Exemplar to some degree, which is, is pretty attractive. But that's that's really about it. Yep. Ah, Scrap Heap too. Yeah, and Scrap Heap. Radiant Flames is definitely the one that's easier to cast, right? But it's is it's bad off Marvel. Is that a consideration? Like, do you think people should be changing their mana bases to try and incorporate Sweltering Suns, or what? Uh, I feel pretty strongly that Sweltering Suns is better than Radiant Flames. Uh, again, maybe this is uh, less stressed because Paul's playing so few World of Virtuosos, but I actually ended up in some spots at the Pro Tour where I just cycled my Sweltering Suns against Zombies because I had Whirler in play. That's fair. I mean, your, your guys' deck was a little bit different because you were set up to cast four Chandras, right? Whereas this deck is, like, just a blue-green deck that is kind of splashing Chandra, and, like, the Cinder Glades help a little bit, but they don't really help with Sweltering Suns. Yes, we certainly had more red sources, so that that's also another consideration, but I do think being able to marvel into an additional sweeper against zombies can be important. I don't know. I was I was building it, and it seemed like it was too tough on the mana base to change a lot of stuff around for Sweltering Suns, especially if... You are kind of dead set on playing, like, Lumbering Falls in your deck somewhere. Like, I could see, you know, playing Game Trail and Sheltering Thicket and, and some of that stuff. But if Lumbering Falls is really helpful in the blue-red control matchup, I wouldn't want to cut it. I wouldn't want to, like, shift towards red that much. And certainly, like, the, the counter spells post-board, like, you're going to want a reasonable amount of blue sources in play, too. And especially if you're playing Confiscation Coup, so... 
I don't know. I, I don't know if you can play, like, coup, a bunch of dispels, and a bunch of sweltering suns. Yeah, that's reasonable. Also, again, we had Serena the Conduit to help with all these problems, so. I think I like four tracker and five counter spells for the mirror and like coup or whatever. And then you want some additional sweepers for zombies and then maybe some sort of like spot removal option. And I'm not sure which one of those is better. Yeah. I think like playing rando magma sprayer two and your sideboard is just so low impact. I do like aether meltdown if you're interested in something like that, because it's you know, a little bit stronger against uh, Marty vehicles and heart of Kieran. And it also advances your game plan to some degree. It doesn't yeah. answer like relentless dead or scrap heaps grounder. So, I mean, maybe that's something to think about, but I, I don't really like pointing click removal spells in my sideboard of my, like, pseudo mid-range combo deck. Yeah, I, I agree with that, too. It's just, the issue is that sweepers are generally what would be in these slots instead, and against things like Mardu, they're not very effective there, right? So, like, what are what are you doing? I mean, do you want, like, another disenchant effect? I don't know. I mean, Paul, like, has a mixture of third Chandra and Meltdown, which makes sense. Like, Meltdown can handle the vehicles. Chandra can clean up the rest while also just being naturally good against zombies. So, you know, I, I think that package of five cards that he has, two Meltdown, two Radiant Flames, and a Chandra, does make sense. Okay. But just get the, the Aether Thieves out of there, have a better plan for the mirror match? Yeah, I would totally be fine with just, like, plus one tracker, plus one X, and then registering his sideboard. Where X is probably a confiscation coup. Yeah, that's what I lean towards, but it, to be fair, I, I've not, like, conceptualized his mana base without Servant and how that, that works post-board with trying to incorporate all these things. But double yeah. double blue shouldn't be as hard. Yeah, I, I mean, I I kind of view Koo as, like, maybe it's a triple blue card because you're probably going to want Counterspell backup. Yeah, that's definitely a good point as well. Like, it's probably pretty reasonable that a majority of the time you're going to be playing this on six. Yeah, and it's, it's tough because it's like you need two basic mountains for Chandra. You want at least one island. You would prefer two. He has Cinderglade to help cast Chandra and like a bunch of forests, which you need. But like those don't make blue mana. He has the shrines, which take up like pretty valuable deck slots too. It just seems like you can't even really get as many colored sources as you would want. Well, like you, all the you, cards that you're trying to play. You can. There's those two colorless lands in your deck. Yeah, but I, th I think the two colorless lands are good. And to be fair, it's only one colorless land. Because he, he just has one as an extra land. Yeah, well, I mean, that's I, I think everyone should play 23 lands. I, I know that's not how the world works, but... I think they should, too. One thing that Edgar did uh, was he played one shrine main, one in the board. I wouldn't be that opposed to doing if it was, like, going up to a 24th land. I mean, it seems like if you have three or four trackers and you're trying to, like, make your land drops in these control mirrors, then... Having, like, another land in your board isn't bad, right? Maybe if you're using, like, your dispels offensively, like, you're not trying to settle in for that long of a game, but I don't know. No, I think that's totally reasonable. I'm way more pro lands in the sideboard than the majority of people, but that's that's basically a good point of looking, or good way of looking at it. It's, like, these are kind of pseudo-control mirrors post-board. It's just if somebody stumbles or, you know, blinks at the wrong time, then you get punished with Marvel into Ulamog and you just die. Yeah. So, like, it's even more important that you don't stumble, that you hit all your land drops that you're able to interact, like, that you're able to generate some velocity with these tireless trackers. So, yeah, I, I like that. It is it is possible that the mirrors are so volatile that it's, like, obviously you want to morph into a fish deck. I think that that has just long been the best way to handle these sorts of mirrors. Maybe you just, like, can't even afford to have everything. Like, maybe you do have to, like, take some risks. Not even, like, do everything, like, the super clean way, you know? Like, where you would just want to shave an Ulamog, right? Or, like have 23 land just like be able to function more often than other people are willing to do 
I don't know. Maybe it is just like so volatile that it doesn't really matter. Like it, like that plan doesn't necessarily matter as much as it would if your deck did not have like this this KO in it or whatever, right? Like if Ulamog didn't exist and you're just playing like a fair game, a fair matchup, like you would want these things to occur where like your deck flowed well and you could side into this extra land and whatever. But yeah, like since you can just lose to Ulamog, maybe it's just kind of irrelevant. Well, I don't know. I mean, you can also you know, set yourself up to re-Ulamog your opponent, like, a, a majority of the time. Like, it's very unlikely that your opponent can ever, like, you know, generate six energy to turn two and three and play a Marvel on turn four and hit Ulamog with you doing literally nothing that, like, stops that. So, yeah, like, maybe you, like, fight a counter war and then they, like, Marvel you on turn six, but that gives you your window to re-Marvel them. That's certainly a decent argument for, you know, you need four Ulamog in the mirror match no matter what. And I think that even if I did register three in the main deck, I would sideboard the fourth just for the mirror match. I think you're going to be playing like normal games a lot more than people conceptualize the mirror. Okay. What I'm trying to get at, I'm going to try and explain this one more time, where you try and set it up so you make all your land drops and you have this velocity and your deck flows well, and then you just like lose to an Ulamog anyway. I mean, that's possible. Yeah, the thing that you're trying to do just gets invalidated by like what the deck does sometimes. So, like, how much should you be focusing on the velocity and hitting the land drops? Like, how important is that actually? I still think it's very important because... So, the, the way I view the mirror, there there's, like, three archetypes of games. There's, you know, someone has Marvel, executes their plan, they get you, whatever. That's magic. It could have been... Marvel in this situation could have been, like, curving into a Gideon or whatever. Just powerful magic card. Bristling Hydra. Yeah. And then there are, like, you know, the tracker games where someone does effectively play the fish deck and pulls ahead with their tireless tracker generates card advantage and then yeah they probably end up killing you with marvel down the line but it's really the tireless tracker plus interacting with you that beats you and then there's like you know ways that you can try to like break parity on those two things like confiscation coup is a, is a big way to do that yeah i don't know i think i think we're like mostly in agreement i guess i think it's that fourth ulamog and that's it yeah it would be in my 75 and maybe i would still register it in my main deck but i just I hate it. Man, I hate it. When the format is 40% mirrors, and I, I think that's like a rough number, but it's probably reasonably accurate. The decks are configured such where you have like negate main deck and to some degree sensor and descenders deliverance. And like, I, I feel like the main deck games are kind of playing out pretty close to post board games. So like Paul having four Ulamog, two shrine main deck is kind of a nod to that. We're like, that That does seem like a sideboard plan to me, but it also just seems like the mirrors might just play out that way in game one. I do think that's a valid point. That That is kind of going in along with what I've said, is, is if everyone is, is again, quote-unquote playing nice and just trying to play these long games, then, then I do agree that Paul Dean's setup is, like, super smart and makes a ton of sense. Cool. So there might right, be, so- there might be like, the metagame in this, in this way that you have to do that. Now, what's funny about that is that if everyone's like, man, I have to play these Shrines and Fort Ulamogs to get an edge, then suddenly people will start trying to go under you. Oh, yeah. No, and I, I imagine that'll happen within, like, you know, the next few weeks or whatever. But right now, I think it is just, like, the Marvel Mirror Rat Race. Yeah, like, four Ulamog, one Whirler Virtuoso, a main deck Negate, two main deck Shatters, and two Shrines in your main deck. There's just so little resistance here. Just so little. Well, I, I think part of it is that your deck is so naturally good against most things that you can afford to make those cuts, right? I mean, kind of. Like, a lot of hands with this deck, the way it's set up, are going to be, like, lands, a rogue refiner, a glimmer, and a big thing. And then, you know, how do you, how, how in the world do you ever beat a one-drop with those hands? 
I don't know, man. Find a Marvel on four. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, like all of those games are completely winnable because Aetherworks Marvel is just that powerful. Generally speaking, like you know, he he had a plan. He wanted to beat the mirror match, and he made the finals of the tournament and went eight zero in the mirror until he lost in the finals. So you know, props to him. Like maybe he just made like this sick metagame read, or just fully expected that the mirror match would be as important as it was for this particular weekend. But I do think there is a significant risk to setting up your deck in this manner. But if you're trying to win the tournament and the tournament is almost half of mirror matches, then not only that, but like this is the most popular deck because it is probably the best deck, right? So like in theory, the cream is going to rise and also a lot of the better players are playing this deck. So they're also just going to be like in your bracket all the time. You know, if, if this is like basically the only deck that you're trying to beat because you can just like spin Marvel against everything else and kind of get lucky, like, you know, what's what's the fail rate with that, right? Like... You're, you're still going to be, like, no worse than, like, 30 or 40% against anyone. Yeah. No, I mean, that's those are all legit points. It's just, I, I don't know. It's it's interesting to me. Like, obviously, the winner's metagame of Montreal was, like, 60 Marvel decks in a field of, like, 110 or something like that. 120, maybe. I, I don't know if that's going to be an accurate, you know, representation of the winner's metagame moving forward. Yeah, probably not. But I, I feel like after a weekend like this... It's more likely that people, like, jump on to Marvel than immediately, like, get off it and try and work on things that beat it, right? Potentially. Uh, I know that Jabberwocky lost in the finals with Blu-ray control of the Mox on the weekend uh, to Marvel, but he cited something on Twitter of, like, being, like, 26-4 and four in the matchup or you know, something insane. And I, I'm sure some of that has to do with, like, him being great and his Marvel opponents being less great than him, right? Like, that's just got to be part of it. Like, Oh, certainly. I, you said today that you played against Todd, and you were playing Marvel, and you 5-0'd him, and he was playing Blue-Red, right? Yeah. I, I've, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, it's, it's, so, it's so difficult to say, because the, the true matchup is, is very different than, you know, what people's results are citing. Right. And that's all I want to find out, is the true matchup. Yeah. But, like, you know, I felt like I played well and got lucky in a couple spots that it mattered, and it was only five games, so who knows. Yeah, but you won all of them. I did, and Todd got really pissed by game five. It was kind of great. Yeah, I remember getting 5-0'd. I was never very happy. Nobody wants to get 5-0'd in a versus video. It doesn't feel good. Been there yeah, before. That's gross. So, on the flip side of all this, Grand Prix Santiago had two Marvel decks in the finals, and both of them had Servant of the Conduit. I was not actually aware of that. That's dope. So, Montreal had zero Servants, and Santiago had eight. The person who won had two Chandras. The person who got second had three Chandras, also some Glimmers. And, like, main deck trackers, and it is, it's kind of interesting. I'll just go ahead and throw this out there that I can never get behind main deck tracker. That person did well in the finals of the tournament, and I know BBD played at least two main deck trackers in Montreal, but I don't really understand it. It just doesn't, it's not really in tune with your game one plan of just kind of, like, overpower your opponent. Tracker plays very well when you get a little bit more reactive. You have... Lower your curve. You lower your curve, you have counter spells in your deck, things along those lines. Yeah, game one, you just don't have enough things to interact to make Tracker worthwhile, I don't think. Yeah, like you're just peeling into more, you know, energy cards that you could have just cast a world over a choice, so generate the energy and just, like, gone over the top limb of Marvel anyways. Yeah, especially since Kowalski doesn't have, like, Descender's Deliverance or Sensor. He cut a, a Puzzle Knot for those trackers, too. Just like, ugh. Never cut a Puzzle Knot. It's just wrong. I know the card doesn't well, feel, good to, feel good to draw on multiples sometimes, but it's just so important. It's it's dark ritual, you know. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, it's definitely a good way of conceptualizing it. 
I'm gonna burn a card when I cast this dark ritual, but then I have Rexy Negator in play. We could we could talk about sideboarding a decent amount because like Puzzle Knot is interesting in that they talked about this on Montreal coverage a little bit, where it was like beginning rounds of day one, it was like people were siding out Puzzle Knots, and then like when they got to the matches where like people were playing for top eight, like Puzzle Knot got cast a lot more. How do you feel about this? We agree on this and and have, have talked about it a lot, but like. I, I think sideboarding is just something that you have to remain so flexible about, and even throughout the course of a tournament or a match, I'll you know drastically change my sideboard based on the cards that I see from my opponent, how they're playing, uh, whether I'm on the play or the draw. It's very rare that I just submit the same between game two and three, especially with a deck like this, because the way the games are going to play out are, are so different based on the amount of interaction resistance you see and whether you're on the play or the draw. But generally speaking, I, I like really like to brute force my opponent uh, when I'm on the play, and I'll keep all my puzzle knots in basically every matchup, unless I saw like tons and tons of like dispossesses or something like that from zombies. And I also had obviously a bunch of Chandras to try to counteract that. I I do kind of agree with the sentiment that you know people that keep puzzle knot in and kind of accept that risk, so to speak, just to try to have powerful draws, are going to get rewarded more often than not. I, I feel like if I were playing with this deck that I basically just built on Magic Online, which is basically Paul Dean's deck. Where I was looking at, like, you know, how many sideboard cards can I have for the mirror? Do I even have enough things that I want to take out? And then I was going over the cards that I could potentially see myself cutting, and it's like some amount of Harness Lightning, some amount of Puzzle Knots, maybe Sensor, maybe Chandra, whatever. And it was like, yeah, if I play, I could play like a bunch of Trackers and Coups and Counter Spells and whatever, but would I be able to fit? all of this stuff into my deck, and then, like, would my deck even make sense if I did? Is there a point to keeping in four Marvels and four Ulamogs if you're just, like, siding out your Puzzle Knots and don't already have, like, a bunch of Whirler Virtuosos, you know? Like, can you even make six energy? Like, that's a reasonable concern. It's funny that you mentioned that. That was something that, when we were testing in the house, our version of Marvel against Blu-ray Control, we, we thought it was pretty bad. I think a big reason because of that was... In reality, like, because that we knew each other's deck list and how we were sideboarding, it kind of got a little inbred to the point where, like, you could just let Aetherworks Marvel resolve. Like, it wasn't a must-counter spell anymore. And then, like, you know, the games kind of started to slip away from that point because maybe you get, like, one Marvel activation. But at that point, like, the game had progressed to the point where you finally get six energy and then you could just disallow the activation. Having less stress on being able to actually counter spell the Marvel meant that you could play the game in a different way, like, just resolve your Glimmer that turn or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that's a consideration... I, I do think, even though I'm mentioning this, like you still need to cut like your Woodweavers against Blu-ray Control basically only, but you have to keep some number everywhere else. Okay. Do you think that that changes? Like you, you mentioned, player draw, right? So like if if, if you're playing like basically Paul Dean's deck next week and you play a mirror match and you lose game one, like what what are you looking to do? Tracker coup negate maybe some number of dispel but i'm not sold on completely on three and i would just board out my sensors and just like let them be afraid of it how many lightnings do you think you should keep in it seems like everyone has three or four trackers right yeah i i think this is actually really important to note i'm glad you brought it up i don't think you should board out harness lightning in basically any matchup Ooh. okay See, I want to write an article about this, and one of the things that I've run into over, like, the last X amount of tournaments, and maybe it's because I've been playing decks like this, like Bantel, Drazi, and Zombies both qualify, where it's like, on the play, I want very, very few reactive cards. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, you, you kind of just want to execute your game plan and just, like, beat your opponent up. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to, like, mulligan and have a disdainful stroke in the mirror match, or, like, 
Mulligan have a harness lightning in the Marvel Mirror match, you know? It's just like, I, I want all these cards that do things. I want to be able to interact to some degree or whatever, but I also don't want to, like, you know, be super happy that I'm on the play and then not be able to do anything with it. Yeah. Talking about harness lightning more specifically, like, in the Mirror match, it's literally the worst thing it can be is 1R gain 3 energy. Like, that's fine. Like, you can just target your opponent's creature and just gain 3 energy, and there's going to be no downside. And, you know, that's a way better situation to be in with, like, the semi-rotting Harness Lightning in your hand than just losing to your opponent's tracker. And kind of going back to what I was saying previously, like, I, I view Blue-Red Control as being, like, this pseudo-fish deck in the matchup where they have to beat you in the mid-game. So, like, you just desperately need to be able to kill Torrential Gear Hulk or Dragon Master Outcast or Thing in the Ice, like, when they play it. Because if you can just keep them from pressuring your life total, then Ulamog is actually good in the late game. I, I definitely agree with Blue-Red and... Uh, again, from Montreal coverage, like, I saw people board in Thing in the Ice against Marvel multiple times, and it also looked good, which I don't think was a thing that we were really doing when we were testing for the PT. But I guess, like, the decks also weren't really set up this way. But, like, Harness Lightning in the mirror, like, yeah, you need to kill Tracker, but, like, dude, what if what if you're on the play and you have two of them, and it's just, like, you just end up doing nothing? Whereas if, if they're, like, Puzzle Knots instead, or just, you know, something like that, at least you're getting ahead. To some degree. Like, at least, like, any Marvel or, like, Confiscation coup you have is just, like, super, super turned on. Oh, uh, if I wasn't making it clear, I definitely would not board out Puzzle Knots on the play. Okay. So I, you keep I, all the Lightnings, all the Puzzle Knots? What are you cutting? You're just cutting Sensor? Yeah, I would dip into, like, the Sensor numbers and stuff. Well, no, you say and stuff, but there's, like, eight cards you need to bring in. Uh, I count. Well, like, I guess I guess you're not bringing in all the Dispels, sure. Yeah, just, like, three Tracker, is- a, a coup, a Negate, and a Dispel. Isn't that better? Isn't that isn't dispel like just a great way to leverage being on the play? Is like you're you're up a land drop and you get to force through some key spell. Yeah, I mean, I, to be fair, I'm I'm just looking at his list, so like I would go like minus three sensor, minus one world of virtuoso. Uh, I guess I would have to cut a Chandra, even though I don't want to. I'll just cut them both. Yeah, probably actually. If if I if I was trying to execute this very specific plan with his exact seventy five, I probably would. Yes. And to be fair, I, like, I usually do cut the Virtuosos in the mirror match, so there is okay. that, I guess. So yet another small nod, I suppose, to the way his deck is technically configured, but, you know, I still have issues with it. Uh, what, what about zombies? Like, we talked about how we don't want spot removal in our sideboard necessarily because it's it's not really doing a whole lot. It's like, yeah, you can Magma Spray a Relentless Dead or a Crypt Breaker or whatever, but, like, really what you want out of your sideboard is to just be able to help contain that matchup. So, like, having a sweeper is just generally more powerful than having a spot removal spell. And I think since Marvel is built the way that it is, cards like Magma Spray are also not great because you can't really play them on turn one a lot of the time. So if you have to, like, attune on one to get your red and then they play a Crypt Breaker and you're like, crap, I have to kill that, and you spray it on two, you're you're just, like, losing a mana on that turn, you know? So it's, like, not very effective. It's, like, much better to just, like, play a Sweeper on turn three or turn four, right? So how many Harness Lightnings do you want in that matchup? You still want all four just for, like, Crypt Breaker, Lord, and, like, four, four copies of Harness Lightning is not a lot, but you obviously, like, don't want to flood on spot removal, right? Because that's not how you're going to beat them. It's not how they're trying to beat you. But, like, you think four is correct? Uh, yes, and I, I definitely agree with that point that drawing a bunch of Harness Lightnings is not actually good in the matchup. Like, you want to draw, like, 1.6 or something, like, depending on the how the game goes. Uh, but but I think it's it's pretty understated just how good, like, Harness Lightning, a Crypt Breaker, and gain 2 energy, like, net 2 energy is. Like, because that stuff adds up. You pair that with, like, a Rogue Refiner and an Aether Hub later, and then, like, you kind of just, like, randomly have 6 energy, even though you haven't taken a whole turn off just trying to, like, play a Puzzle Knot or whatever. 
I mean, I guess you get some freedom in that matchup where, like, at least one of the zombies lists the top aided one of these Grand Prix just had four Dispossess. Yeah, I think that's was, pretty aggressive. But uh, was Ethan's deck. I certainly killed more than one zombie's opponent at the Pro Tour just, like, going manual mode with Doctors. So I, I do think yeah. that is a legit strategy. And once again, beating a dead horse, it is very great with Chandra. So Ethan's deck from Montreal had four Transgress, no Dispossess, no Lost Legacy. Giram's had four Dispossess, no Transgress. So different strats. Yeah. I mean, I, I generally my approach to the matchup would be shave on Ulamog, have have a Chandra in my 75, or an extra Chandra in my 15, I guess is a better way of putting it. I would definitely want at least three in my 75, and then, yeah, just fill out with like some Sweltering Suns, maybe some Radiant Flames, depending on how my deck was configured. Yeah, but not try too hard, and then with this Glimmer version, like, how do you feel about Tracker? We, we played four Tracker at the Pro Tour, and disclaimer, I boarded Tracker in in every single matchup in some number. I think it's basically just a matter of trying to gauge your opponent and how many, like, cards like this transgress and dispossess and how slow they're going to approach the game. Generally, I, I, I played it safe, and I only boarded in, like, two Tracker in the dark because I never wanted to draw multiples of them, and if my opponent just randomly had, like, a very aggressive draw or was kind of on the, like, transgress me and beat me down with one-drop plan rather than, like, go long, dispossess me and play Liliana's Mastery and overwhelm me, then Tracker was, you know, going to be substantially better or worse depending on their configuration. Yep. But I do like it. And on top of that, even, like, I boarded in Negate once against Zombies because my opponent had, like, transgress, dispossess, and it seemed just like the way the games were playing out and the way that he was approaching the matchup, he was, like, very reliant on playing Liliana's Mastery on five to actually pressure me and get over the finish line. Okay. So that coupled with, like, you know, playing Glimmers moving forward, I, I do think that is a valid approach to the matchup that you should be aware exists, but I would not necessarily do it in the dark. Yep. No, I definitely agree with that. Like, there are some draws that I would keep, especially on the draw, where your beatdown plan is probably not going to be good enough against Marvel. Like, you're not going to be clocking them enough, uh, where you have to keep disruption. Like, if you have transgress or dispossess, whatever you're trying to hit them with in the matchup, you're kind of pigeonholed into playing those cards on curve and, like, not really developing. And then, yeah, Liliana's Mastery is, like, a big way to actually, like, get back in the game. So I could totally see negate, like, even even if, like, you're about to play a Marvel and they dispossess you and you get to negate that, like, that's completely fine, too. And uh, Mark Tobias actually brought in a negate against me when we played in the Swiss, just, like, for similar reasons. I think there was just a game where I was on the draw and, like, had to not develop and, like, transgress him instead, so. I, and to be fair, in any matchup like this... This is kind of just like a fundamental thing, I guess. If you can, you know, play a reactive card that actually just trades with the entirety of their turn, like, that's great. Like, negate trading with their their turn, whether it's, like, transgress or dispossess. Like, sometimes it doesn't line up that way, of course, but, it like, that's still, like, a victory for a deck like this. And especially if you're, like, tagging a mastery and you got to play, like, a three-drop in addition to the negate, then that's great, too. Yeah, of course that's, like, the dream because it actually just, like, buys you two full turns and you, you know, trade it up on mana in a huge way. But I would not expect the games to play out that like that every time. But, again, it's it's something that you should be, you know, cognizant of. Man, I want to I wanna work on Mardu now, but every time I do that, it just kind of feels like poop. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's the desire to, like exploit the metagame and be smart whereas marvel is just like this super powerful deck that actually like does put you in some really interesting spots in certain games like to the point where the deck is worth mastering i think the the narrative of like oh just spin on spin marvel on turn four and kill your opponent with ulamog is like really overstated not that i'm saying that like marvel is a good thing for the game necessarily or whatever but uh it's definitely not as mindless as people say it is 
No, it's it's kind of like affinity, right? It's like, oh, uh, Ravager, two disciples, her, whatever. But it's like, affinity was one of the hardest decks to play of all time. You could get free wins with it, yes. But that did not happen the majority of the time. And Marvel is kind of the same thing, where it's like, yeah, you can go Puzzle Knot, Crack It, Marvel, Ulamog, you, like, you're dead. But most of the games are pretty interesting. Mostly unrewarding when Ulamog is involved, but still interesting. And and the slower the, the games develop and, like, the more the mirror matches are about, about like positioning and you know choosing when to jam and when to counter things player glimmers uh even like when to marvel is actually a pretty tricky thing like sometimes yeah i think that i think that's what i screw up the most yeah positioning yourself to be the one that remarvels your opponent is oftentimes correct i i'm definitely in agreement with that it is tough these mirrors are tough i mean there's especially the post-board games like there's so much interaction and so much jockeying and then it's like you could think that you're ahead but it's like so you're like i'm ahead i don't necessarily have to like press my advantage right i have like these counter spells and then you just get ulamogged right and it's just like there is like a very small window where you have to like push very hard to actually get them dead like turn seven through eight yeah, I, I'm not going to make any friends by saying this, but, like, sometimes, honestly, choosing what to Ulamog is pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that can be true, too. Because, yeah, like, if your opponent has valuable permanents in play, but if they're they're approaching 10 and the game's not going to end and <laughs> they just re-Ulamog you, then, you know, suddenly you're losing. Like, yeah, like, kind of what you were saying, like, it's, it's very rare that someone has, like, such a, a grip on the game that, that it is automatically over. I, I kind of want to go to Omaha... How are you feeling? Are you good on Grand Prix? Yeah, I, I might go to Baltimore instead. That's a, a tour stop with some modern, and, you know, people are driving. That's a, it's a lot more attractive than flying to a Grand Prix. Yeah, so, I don't know. Definitely going to play Marvel. I was actually thinking about this earlier today, where it's like, man, what if they don't ban anything, and, like, the next set doesn't have a lot of stuff? It's like, it's going to be so great. I can just, like, lock in Marvel and, you know, draft a bunch and just kind of chill. It's just so nice. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Just play your mirror matches, get your Manglehorn on a little bit. It's dope. Yeah, Manglehorn's okay. I like Manglehorn, but, you know. Manglehorn was in all my decks, but I think Manglehorn was a lot better when I had Servant. You would you would be on the fish plan, and you would just have this thing that, like, root mazed their, their marble, you know? And it's like, that's fine. Like, you didn't necessarily use it as a shatter, but it's like, when the body's not relevant, like, you definitely don't want to just present that on turn three. I don't know, man. People just cut all their whirler virtuosos, and there's no shame in a tutu anymore. <laughs> yeah, fair. It didn't look like a lot of people were doing that, though. Like, that's mostly why I want to talk about the sideboarding stuff, because, like, people were all over the place. It was like, there are whirlers still in the deck, there's Chandra still, there's Puzzle Knots. Like, what are people even doing? I have no idea. Now, I mean, like, properly configuring this deck is, is a, lot, a lot more difficult than it seems, I think. All right, so mostly off zombies, at least for now might make a comeback in like three weeks we'll see how inbred everyone gets but yeah I'm, I'm definitely on the marvel train i do think that like this type of deck is conducive to like what i want to be doing in magic you know just like the the call blade the delver era the flash era all that stuff like this this deck kind of fits that role too yep i mean it's just the best it has the ability to play basically every kind of game plan and that's just how the best deck always is yeah and it has velocity and just like the best interaction the best lay of the land. Not the best ever. Traverse is probably the best ever, right? Mm, yeah. I, well, I don't know. Maybe, uh, what, what was that? The one you could reveal your hand. Ooh, land grant. Land grant. That's, that's got to be the best ever, right? That was only good because there weren't fetch lands yet. Mm, okay. Well, maybe my understanding of that era of magic is just incorrect. Oh, no. Like, it was, it was insane then. 
It was great, but it's like worse than a polluted Delta. Yeah, that that, that actually makes sense. Point is, Tune with Aether is good. <laughs> it is. It's straight gas. All the all the hands with the tune are great. <laughs> That's game. All right, man. Sign us off. All right. We we don't we don't have anything else to add. I don't think so. Unless you got you got something. Not that I can think of. I just didn't really. What was our conclusion? The conclusion was like I'm I'm all about the Marvel. I'm gonna play Marvel. All right, dude. Well, I'm gonna let your jet engine pass, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. What is happening? It's, it sounds very loud, is what it sounds like. It's still going. That is an airplane, right? It's not like a storm. Dude, it is. It's like sunny and 80 degrees. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's basically the rain cloud that's been following me. It found you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it sounds like it's going away. Okay. I guess to be fair, he could have just cut your audio anyways, but didn't even think about that. Oh, he could have. He could just cut this ent- entire like 30 second bit <laughs> or he could leave it. Whatever. I trust him. Yeah, sure. All right. That's airplane. <laughs> Good luck.